0: Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as three dollars a month. Just go to patreon.com/CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate, or you can go to Buy Me a Cup of Coffee slash Craig U. All of these links are also in my show notes, and for people who donate, I have various levels of benefits. For $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and from John to Justin, and on social media. For $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by, with your name at the start. Also, I'll state it's sponsored by you on social media. For $20, everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you, and promotion of something you're working on. And you can find weekly videos on Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. If you want to find transcripts of every episode I've ever done, you can go to my website, CanadaEHX.com. And there's over 700 posts on Canada's history there. In June 1886, Vancouver was only two months old and quickly growing to become one of the most important cities in Canada, and eventually, the world. Then... All that progress was suddenly ripped away as the dreaded foe of every early community in Canada reared its head. Fire. From the 1860s until the 1880s, Vancouver was little more than a small community with a few shops and homes, and it was also called Granville. Prior to the arrival of the Canadian Pacific Railway, Granville was very remote. It required a nine-mile journey through the forest from New Westminster to Reach, or 30 miles along the Fraser River from Fort Langley. When it was announced that Granville would be the west coast terminus of the Canadian Pacific Railway in 1885, the entire community began to explode in size. On April 6, 1886, Granville became the city of Vancouver. The first city council election was held on May 3rd, with Malcolm McLean serving as the new mayor. The rapid growth of Vancouver unfortunately meant that the coastal Salish people began to lose the land they had occupied for upwards of 500 years. Prior to them, the Musqueam people lived there for at least 2,000 years. Pushed to a reserve, the indigenous were not allowed to work at the sawmills, which caused great hardship for them. The Canadian Pacific Railway was also granted 6,000 acres of heavily forested land by the government. Loggers and railroad workers quickly got to work clearing out the trees, many of them ancient cedar that stood at 330 feet tall. As the trees were cut down, the good parts of the trees were taken to the mill while the pieces of wood chips were left on the ground, where they were eventually put into huge mounds as tall as a three-story building. Those mounds would then be lit on fire. The Nanaimo Daily News reported, For months, large gangs of men have been employed slashing the forest on the site selected as the terminal city of the Canadian Pacific Railway. Hundreds of acres have been slashed, and the hot sun of the past few weeks has thoroughly dried all the fallen trees and prepared the material for an extensive conflagration. Among the slash, many buildings had been erected without apparent regard for the dangers of the situation. It was amid all this that on June 13th, as a hot breeze blew in from the Pacific Ocean, that a forest clearing fire was started to the southwest of the city. The land was being cleared in order to put in a CPR roundhouse. A second fire was started to the west of the city to clear land for the expansion of the city itself. Due to the wind and hot dry conditions, both fires quickly began to grow out of control. The men at the fires tried to put the fires out with buckets, wet blankets, and shovels, but the wind from the Pacific Ocean soon turned into a gale, and the men fighting the first fire were forced to give up on their efforts and flee to the shoreline to escape the growing flames. As the men shouted ahead of the flames, the fire overtook them by leaping from treetop to treetop. According to some reports, men dropped before the eyes of the others and were consumed by fire. The Nanaimo Daily News reported, The wind swept long forked tongues of flame before it and carried showers of cinders and burning splinters into the heart of the city, An onlooker at the St. James Church nearby began to frantically ring the church bell to alert others to the fire. That bell would eventually be nothing more than a molten bit of metal after the fire had come through, and that melted bell now sits at the Vancouver Museum. In fighting the second fire, the men tried to create a firebreak, but that was not successful. The fire was abandoned as well, and before long, the two fires joined into one giant fire. The Kingston Whig Standard would report, quote, At 2.30 yesterday afternoon, the wind rose to a gale and caused fires, which were burning on the Canadian Pacific Railway Reserve, to spread towards the city. A house on the extreme west end caught fire, and the flames spread rapidly to the adjacent buildings. At 4pm, the last house in town was in ashes, end quote. As the fires began to burn into Vancouver, smoke filled the area and people started to flee with whatever belongings they could carry. One man lost $1,800 in cash, while others lost upwards of $20,000 in furniture, bedding, jewelry, and more. In a private letter from an unnamed person that was published in the Victoria Daily Times, it was stated, Before I got half across the street, I met a man who begged me to hitch up quickly and save a load of boots and shoes from his store. In 10 minutes, his store was in ashes. A poor woman begged hard for me to take on three trunks, but she had no one to help her, and the horses were so wild I could only keep them straight on the road. I stopped once, and in less than a minute the wagon was full of trunks, and then I put the horses as fast as I could manage to pass people. Despite the smoke filling the air and the warnings from others, various residents did not believe the fire was that dangerous, and they did not leave. Many did not leave until the very last minute, in fact and some chose not to leave at all and instead went to the hotels to drink the liquor that was now sitting unguarded as the owners had left. The Victoria Daily Times would report, During the confusion which prevailed, many rowdies and roughs saw that everyone was leaving. They entered the saloons, which had been left entirely unprotected, and commenced drinking. Many a one was seen staggering along the street with a keg of beer on his shoulder or carrying as many bottles of liquor as he could appropriate men were seen sitting completely hemmed in by the fire and apparently oblivious of their surroundings drinking liquor, end quote. The speed of the fire approaching shocked many who did not see a fire as someone came running by yelling for them to run away. The Nanaimo Daily News reported, quote, For two or three minutes they heard the roar of the approaching torrent of fire and then they saw it rise like a long wall high above the tall trees of the forest and then it bounded down like a wild beast on the devoted city. I saw it strike one of the churches, which disappeared in half a second. The air appeared to be impregnated with gas, and in two minutes the city was on fire, quote. This account from an unnamed correspondent continued stating, quote, The chickens that were out in the streets feeding on grasshoppers were roasted alive, and several persons shared their fate. The smell of burned flesh was horrible, quote. The correspondent would also come across the body of a woman and her child, both burned beyond recognition in the street. As people fled the flames carrying what they could, many began to drop what they had to run faster, littering the streets with household debris. Many fled to the water to escape the flames. A young man named Johnson and his mother, an elderly woman, jumped into a well to survive. The woman survived but was badly burned and would die a few days later. The indigenous on the reserve saw the smoke and flames spreading and took their canoes out into the water to view the fire. As residents fled to the water to escape the flames, the indigenous began to help the survivors who were floundering or had fallen out of boats that were filled with people. They would then canoe the people to safety. The Regina leader reported, quote, In some cases, there was only enough time to place them on improvised rafts, which were pushed out from the shore beyond the reach of the flames, which literally seemed to fill the air, end quote. Over the course of about 500 episodes, one thing I've found with Canadian history and history in general is that times change and styles change. What was rare at one point becomes common at another. If you want to take advantage of a style of today, then Manscaped is the company for you. Manscaped has been providing safe products for men to groom themselves for years without the danger of sharp blades causing a very uncomfortable injury. Right now, Manscaped is offering all my listeners 20% off of their order. I recently received my first kit from Manscaped and it comes with everything to groom yourself from top to bottom. Even your nose and ears can be groomed with their patented Weed Whacker Trimmer. With their lotions, powders, and trimmers, you can feel your best as you go about your day. Once again, that is 20% off with the offer code EHX at manscaped.com. Choose your products and enter the code at the checkout to save today. You can also click the link in my show notes. The Robert Kerr also came as close to shore as it could so that people jumping into the water could be hauled aboard into safety. The steamer Dunsmuir would do the same and transported people to Moodyville, where they found temporary shelter. Amid the danger, the Vancouver Volunteer Hose Company No. 1 went to Scholar's General Store to remove explosives that had been stored there, while Thomas McGewen, the city clerk, saved the city's records that detailed a short history of the community. The fire brigade had only been formed on May 28, 1886, and had no engine. While still waiting for equipment to arrive from Ontario, all they had to fight the fire were axes and shovels. The fire would eventually burn through the community, and with nothing left to burn, began to grow under control. By the time the fire was finished, 600 to 1,000 buildings were completely destroyed in Vancouver. Very few buildings survived. One building that did was the Bridge Hotel, which was turned into a makeshift morgue for the people who had died in the fire. It's estimated 21 people died in the fire, although the exact number of dead is unknown, and due to the transient population of the time, the exact number is likely much higher. Often, it was even hard to identify the bodies as human. The Victoria Daily Times reported, quote, Alderman Balfour, who was in the city, says there was a report that there was believed to be remains of two bodies having been discovered, but it was impossible to determine that the debris had ever been human bodies. It is scarcely probable that they will ever be known positively whether all the fatalities have been discovered, so complete was the cremation, End quote. One man was identified by his wife by his watch chain as it was the only recognizable thing on his body. Some of the dead had drowned escaping the flames, and most of the dead were working class. The Kingston Whig Standard reported, quote, A whole city ablaze and a panic stricken population described the scene. Numbers sought refuge in the water, one was found in a well. The horrible Holocaustified description few people have more than the clothes they stand in. End quote. The Hamilton Specter wrote, quote, our promising plucky little metropolis at the Pacific end of the Canadian Pacific Railway is in ashes. Not a half a dozen houses remain out of 500. The worst of all is the heavy loss of life. One short hour did the whole work. Ten bodies have been found and numerous persons are inquired for. The property saved is insignificant. Quote. The entire city had been destroyed in 45 minutes and the cost of the damages was $1.3 million or $40 million today. One eyewitness said, quote, Vancouver did not burn, it exploded. End quote. In the letter published in the Victoria Daily Times, the individual states, quote, The whole thing was over so soon it was impossible to realize exactly what had happened. One man said to me, It was like a dream, and I don't think he could have described it better. End quote. News quickly began to spread across Canada via the Telegraph. The Montreal Star reported, quote, Vancouver, the new city on the Pacific coast, which, as the Pacific terminus of the Canadian Pacific Railway, is expected to be second in Canada only to Montreal in the near future, is burned down. Let it be rebuilt as befits a city with a great future before it. Mayor McLean would telegraph both the Mayor of Toronto and Prime Minister John A. Macdonald and state, Our city is in ashes. 3,000 people homeless. Please send aid at once. Toronto Council immediately offered $1,000 to the Relief Committee, Waterloo would send $300 to help the relief committee as well. Hamilton would send $500 and send a telegraph to Vancouver stating, quote, "The citizens of Hamilton deeply sympathize with you in the great calamity which has befallen your city." End quote. Montreal would receive criticism for not sending aid immediately. Mayor Begrand would state that the reason was that they were not notified by the Vancouver authorities. The Montreal Star would respond to this in an editorial stating, quote, When a town is swept out of existence and only two houses left standing, the facilities for telegraphing are not the best description, and the mayor of the terminal city should be pardoned for neglecting to notify every city in the Dominion. Over a week later, Montreal would give $2,000 to the relief committee. An official telegram stated, quote, That the citizens of Montreal, in public meeting assembled, desire to express their sympathy with their fellow countrymen on the Pacific coast and the great disaster which has befallen them in the entire destruction of the city of Vancouver. The CPR would give $3,000 to assist people who had lost everything in the fire. Messages out from the community had to be transported by horse to New Westminster and then sent on the telegraph. Citizens and the government of New Westminster also began to send aid upon hearing about the fire. Residents of Vancouver, who lost everything, were told to gather at the Westminster Bridge to await relief supplies. After the fire, the correspondent from the Nanaimo Daily News related what he saw in the city, stating, quote, Today I crossed over the site of Vancouver City. It is a dismal black waste in the woods. The fire ate up everything. Quote. Only days after the fire, work began to rebuild the community. Free lumber was provided from the Hastings Mill to anyone rebuilding their home or business. The Kingston Week Standard reported, quote, A thousand men will go to work clearing up tomorrow for the CPR. Twenty contracts for rebuilding are already let. Many men are ruined but determined to start in their old localities, end quote. By 3am the next day, lumber wagons were heading towards Vancouver and were unloaded by the light of lanterns. A tent city hall was set up and three constables were appointed to prevent looting in the ruins. One of the first bylaws passed was that a building had to be made of brick or stone. One man said, quote, In 20 minutes, Vancouver had been wiped off the earth. In 12 hours, it was rising again. End quote. White canvas tents were visible across the city, where residents were living and business was being conducted. The first building to rebuild was a CPR hotel, and within two weeks, businesses were reopening in basic structures. It also did not take long, mere weeks, for businesses to take advantage of the fire. One safe company published the following testimonial that may have been fabricated, stating, quote, after the fire, we examined the safes sold by you, some of which were put to the most severe test, having been surrounded by large quantities of lard and bacon, and we are pleased to testify to the remarkable manner in which every safe sold by you preserved its contents, not only books and papers, but also thousands of dollars in paper money that were taken out in perfect condition. Quote. On June 24th, the first through train arrived in Vancouver after the fire. Six months after the fire, 500 buildings have been rebuilt, with many of the new buildings now made of brick. A year after the fire, the population of Vancouver had reached 2,000 people. Within six years, there were 13,000 people living there. And from those ashes, Vancouver has grown to become one of the most important cities on the planet. I hope you enjoyed that episode, my look at the Great Vancouver Fire. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at you can find me on Twitter, my handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash E H X, And you can donate to the podcast by going to Canada eHX.com and clicking Donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zenri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke Guess, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Vancouver is Awesome, Cultural Trip, Maclean's, Wikipedia, Gastown.org, Montreal Star, Montreal Gazette, Kingston British Wake Standard, Hamilton Spectator, Nanaimo Daily News, and the Regina Leader. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.